Welcome, everybody, to Rounding the Earth. It is January the 30th, 2023, and I consider this one of the more important conversations uh, we've had on Rounding the Earth, and it's a conversation that um, neither I nor many people, almost everyone, probably didn't think would be as uh, critical as it appears to be right at this moment, because um, it looks a little bit more every day like we have entered uh, some sort of a world war, and I say some sort of because it doesn't look like anything that uh, the world's ever seen before. Um, but let's take a step back. Uh, today we're talking about the Las Vegas shooting from, I believe, October 1st, 2017. And if I have the date wrong, it'll be corrected shortly. But I'm bringing in, uh, I guess, John Cullen, who has done an extraordinary amount of research on the Las Vegas shooting. And I just want to mention... Um, uh, late last week, there was a, a Twitter space that thousands of people attended. Um, and it, and I don't know if you were there at all. You weren't there when I was in there, John. But um, uh, amongst the people in there, you had clearly influenced the conversation. And, and this includes amongst um, you know journalists who are very dedicated to the story, like Laura Loomer and, and others. Um, but you, you, you made a particular observation that took the investigation into the Las Vegas shooting in a very different and very productive and very interesting direction. So um, I have a video queued up, but I'm going to let you introduce yourself to the extent that you that you do. Uh, and uh, and you can introduce the clip that we're about to watch. Yeah, so uh, I'm just a regular guy that just happened to be watching this thing unfold that had uh, just enough experience in about half a dozen different areas like photography and using Lightroom and um, navigation and things like that. And, uh, you know, I know enough mathematics to not challenge Matthew to anything. So, uh, you know, I, with this weird set of skills or background that I had, I happened to notice things about the attack that other people weren't noticing. And I started to publish stuff about it. And I guess what Matt's going to start with is uh, one little piece of uh, some footage and uh, testimony from an eyewitness that I pulled together. Okay, let's take a look at this. This may change the way a lot of people see the Las Vegas shooting. Thank you. 
that's my old handle. Okay, well, we're going to stop here. The The YouTube channel, just so that people know, is uh, it's currently John E. Hoover. But when you see this kind of an investigation, you should not assume that this is going to be allowed to remain up. Um, you know, John has a Patreon channel. Uh, we'll provide some links below the video just to make sure that people have them. Um, but uh, and, and John Cullen is not uh, John's real name either. Um, this is the type of uh, circumstance where uh, some precautions are taken um, and it's going to become uh, more and more obvious why. So um, what, what John shows here is testimony by somebody who was there who felt like gunfire was coming from the helicopters. Okay, well, there's thousands of people. Maybe somebody's mistaken, right? You have a whole lot of witnesses. Um, but uh, on, on John's channel, there are dozens of videos. Um, there was one where um, before I, I really understood what John was presenting, I think the first video I saw, John stopped uh, some people on the Las Vegas Strip. And those people said, yeah, we were there that night. Um, you know, we come often and... Um, yeah, we thought it was coming from helicopters. And they were actually, they were hesitant to speak at first, right? They, they kind of walked past you, John. And um, and it was when you started talking with them, like, you know, like, hey, I'm somebody who's going to listen, right? It, it was clear that, the, that as you gave them that trust, that they turned and began to talk to you and they were willing to talk about it. So um, there, there are multiple testimonies of people who um, are, you know, testimonies or testimonials, you know, however you want to view it, um, where people are willing to say that they felt like gunfire was coming from helicopters. And, um, and I'm going to go ahead and say this. Um, we can't get into every detail, but John has an extraordinary amount of detail. I was, when I watched, um, when I watched your videos, John, it was in the middle of the second one where I stopped and I emailed you and I said, Oh, you know, this is what I think happened. And you were like, yeah, that's what the video, that's where we're going with this. But I had only seen about one and a half videos, but, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you explain where, where did these helicopters, where do you think they came from? You know, what, what's going on with the helicopter? Maybe, maybe talk a little more about what's going on with the helicopters and then we'll get into where they came from. Well, that was the big break. So, uh, when the attack happened, um, the cognitive dissonance between the narrative, what, uh, Sheriff Lombardo was sharing and what we were all seeing on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, you know, whatever we were looking at, what we were seeing that people had filmed themselves on their phones wasn't consistent with the narrative. And as I started to really study the footage, what, what the net of it is, what I did was I moved into my office for eight days straight. And on the eighth day, I saw the helicopter. I stayed there two more days and then I couldn't handle it anymore. So I, I got a cot and a sleeping bag. I had a plumber come and put a shower into my office. And this was in Thailand. And I stayed there for 10 days straight. On the eighth day, I saw the first helicopter and I realized it was an aerial attack. The next day, I see a second helicopter. So now I'm like, oh my God, there's two of them. 
The next day, the 10th day, I see the third helicopter. And now it starts getting overwhelming. It's like, oh my God, what the hell is going on here? This is, you know. So, so well, you know, uh, it's clear from the footage and, and from a lot of pieces of footage that there are helicopters up there. Um, you know, that much is clear. Um, but, uh, you know, what are some pieces of evidence, uh, or uh, actually I'll throw a couple out watching uh, your videos and, and I'll say this, I didn't dive deeply into this in 2017. You know, I had, uh, I was, uh, uh, heavily into trading Bitcoin. I was, uh, learning about the cryptocurrency world and how all that worked. Um, I, you know, I, I, I kind of said to myself, you know, the, these things happen and, uh, and I do believe that false flags happen. And, uh, and I felt like there was something wrong with the story, but it's like I could drop everything and pay attention or I could just, I, and this is one that I, I just decided to let it go. I didn't pay close attention. I, I watched some, I watched mm -hmm. a bit. I knew that Laura Loomer was, you know, like, uh, on the ground beating the street and she did some, uh, she did some great work, but, you know, some things that I saw between, um, I, I don't even know exactly whose videos I saw each thing where first, but, um, it was uh it's it's room thirty five one thirty five I believe, no. where Stephen Paddock did I get that wrong thirty two thirty two one thirty five and thank mm -hmm. you for correcting me we'll talk about what those upper floors are in just a moment mm -hmm. but um it, it appears you know when you see like the video of a window broken out it looks like it's room thirty two one thirty four not thirty two one thirty five where the window's broken out. And that's very interesting. Um, who was in that room next door? Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. So as the investigation unfolds, Laura Loomer is on site in Vegas, and she's asking very difficult questions to uh, Sheriff Lombardo. And she's got receipts, which is you know the fascinating part, right? So she's got the receipts showing that more than one lunch or something was served. It was, you know, clearly two meals were served up to the room. Uh, to me, the check-in date is, is less relevant. I know it's important to her. To me, it's not. So that's okay. Right? <laughs> you know, she likes cats. I like dogs. So she thinks the check-in date's important. I don't think it's that important. But she's got these receipts for lunch. And that was one of the first tips that we had, that there was more than one person in the room. Eventually she discovers from reading these <clears throat> um, noise-filled reports that we were looking at, it uh, looked like they were written on um, some sort of paper that's designed to not be scannable, okay? And we're reading these reports, and she discovers that there's three women in the room. And a couple weeks later, I discover their names, their first names. They redact their last names. But we discover that there's three women staying with Stephen Paddock in the room. Full stop. How come it, nobody knows about that part of the story? Can, do you, can you say what their names were, those first names? Well, yeah, because uh, I'm guessing these are not real uh, IDs, so these are probably fake because I believe. So it's like once you understand there's new information here that most people haven't heard, and whatever the story is that you were told probably didn't incorporate this evidence, right? You didn't know that there were three people also in the suite with him, and they're all women, right? So they say on the radio their names. 
and that's been released by the LVMPD, so I'm not doxing anybody. They don't say their last name. So uh, do, you, do you know the first names, or do you, you don't think they're real? Or Oh, well, this is what goes out on the radio. So the, over the radio, they say that there's three women staying with Panic, and their names are Joanne, Katie, and Laura. Okay. Do I think those are their real first names? No, I do not. But here's the interesting aspect. In order to be registered to the room in Vegas, you still have to check in. You've got to go to the front desk and show ID. You just don't get handed keys and get your name on the room without checking in at the front desk. And ladies of the evening don't check in at the front desk and hand over ID to get keys to the room five days earlier. So these are people that he knew. He's there, and he's got a whole bunch of guns. Now, I don't know to what extent you shoot, but I shoot quite a bit. And for me to go out to the desert with friends of mine shooting is kind of a fun thing to do, right? So if you said to me, hey, listen, a bunch of my friends from here, we're going to get together. We're going to go up to the deserts up in New Mexico or Utah, wherever the hell we're going to go. And we're going to set up a you know half mile range and blah, 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 blah. And we're going to camp out. We'll be up there a couple of days. So you're going to bring two, three, four guns. I'm going to bring two, three, four guns. And to people who don't know the sport, it looks like we're a frigging militia, right? And that's not what's going on. We're out there doing target shooting, right? Doing precision stuff. But to people who aren't into the sport and don't understand it, they think you're a lunatic because to them, it looks like weapons of war. But to guys who are into shooting at 600 yards, 200 yards, doing these different NRA things, these NRA events, there was just a there was a shot show uh, that they have in Vegas. But there was just a surefire shooting tournament earlier that week. When I go travel, if I'm going to go shooting, I've got my guns with me. And one of the episodes that I did with my co-host, Jason Goodman, uh, on Crowdsource the Truth, we went to Vegas. And after we visited the locale, uh, the next day or three or whenever, we went out to the desert to shoot. And part of the reason we did it was I wanted to show him, I have guns in my car. That's okay. I'm going to bring those guns to my hotel room because I'm not leaving them in the car overnight. That's okay, too, because I'm not going to shoot anybody. It's perfectly legal. There's all kinds of hotel laws and innkeeper law that when you're in the hotel, that's your home. You can stand your ground and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, if I can cut in here, um, you know, this is interesting to me. I, I'm, I'm somebody who um, uh, I, I do not, you know, go out with uh, with large guns and, and shoot in the desert. Um, you know, I, I, I go to a local range every once in a while and, and, and make sure that I'm okay with my handgun. But uh, um <clears throat> when I heard about the number of weapons and I can't remember the number of guns they said there were in the room, I thought, wow, you know, that's quite an arsenal, but it, it kind of confused me a little bit. I mm -hmm. thought, you know, if I were planning to go up to a hotel room and then shoot down from the hotel room, why would I bring, you know, I don't know what the number was. Why would I bring 19 guns instead of yeah. one gun and 19 magazines or one gun and, and, and a hundred magazines, right? Yeah. If I'm just, you know, okay, maybe the gun gets jammed. Maybe I want to be able to put one down and pick another one up. Okay, how about two guns? Two guns that handle the same magazine. 
uh-huh. or, or something like that. Like right. it, it, and then I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe somebody has a gun collection and they only have mm-hmm. a certain amount of ammo for each gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was trying to walk through it and, and, and is make as much sense of it as possible. I, I guess it's still slightly plausible, no. but, but it's, a, but it is more weird than I first thought when I heard it. But I'll call it slightly plausible. But what I but what we didn't see in the video mm-hmm. is hundreds and hundreds of shell casings when police burst into the room. I mean, Correct. I mean that that would be a pile, right? How much? How how many rounds? It, it was hundreds of people who were wounded, sixty killed. Yeah. I yeah, can't. It was over a thousand number. rounds. There's over a thousand rounds. Um, and when they go to the window, is a big deal. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, that is that's a huge issue is they go to the window the officer who goes to the window should be stepping on all those casings that we see in the photographs that jackie heinrich got yeah like 20 20 pounds of casings let's just be clear about that well it's a thousand rounds it's a thousand it's a thousand probably more yeah it's a thousand fifty it's in the fit report they tell you the exact number it's a little bit over a thousand it's not like it's not like 1500 it's like a thousand fifty something now, the thing is, that's what I'm accusing, based on information and belief, I'm accusing Las Vegas Metro at Lombardo and McMahill and the senior leadership there of forging that evidence, meaning some evidence that we see the next day is not what that crime scene looked like when Levi Hancock breached the room. So when he breached the room, the place looks like one thing. What you see on TV the next day is a different story. And I'm going to explain how this was the biggest accidental illusion of all time. I don't know if you need to take a break or anything like that, but this turns into an illusion. So I, and, and I, I don't know if I think this is an accidental illusion, but I'm going to, I'm going to put a pin in that. Maybe we can come and talk about that later. Um, I, I feel like given, um, given the other connections that you found, Mm -hmm. um, I, I suspect this is not an illusion at all, but okay. So we have, we have, let me explain what I mean by, let me explain what I mean by the illusion. Okay. Okay, Sure. People at the venue. So the day of the next day, you know, within the first 48 hours, nobody knew where the gunshots were coming from. And when you watch the footage from people's phones, People are pointing at Mandalay Bay all over the place. And you got one guy saying it's coming from the 10th floor. One guy saying it's coming from the 4th floor. One guy saying it's coming from over here. One guy saying it's coming from over there. Next time you guys are in Las Vegas, look at Mandalay Bay at nighttime. At nighttime, it's not gold. At nighttime, it's a mirror. The gunshots these people saw were behind them. The helicopters behind them firing, they could see the muzzle blast reflecting off of the hotel. And if that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what will. So people at the venue are looking at the hotel. They think they're seeing gunfire, and they are, but it's behind them. And they're seeing the reflection in the gold foil. So during the daytime, it's this garish gold color, but at night... It's almost a perfect mirror. And that brings us to something that happened before anybody's aware. I think your audience wants to know the things that people don't know. Like, what about the story is just, like, not public? 
And there's something that happened at 9.47 p.m. Way before the shooting started. That appears to be related to this because it happened upstairs. It happened above Paddock's room. Okay, so let's stop there for a moment because you talked about accidental illusions. Here's another one. A lot of people look at that building and they go, the Mandalay Bay Hotel. But that building houses more than one hotel. And that's something that, that that's a weird concept for a lot of people. There aren't a lot of buildings that house multiple hotels, but this happens at times at the upper floors. You have somebody who, who uh, wants to run a high-end brand on the upper floors, and then down below the first four, five, six floors, whatever, you know, a, a more ordinary brand. So what are the upper floors in that building? Well... what's kind of odd about it before we reveal what it is, is how little publicity this aspect of the story got. In other words, all you heard was Mandalay Bay, Mandalay Bay, Mandalay Bay, Route 91, Mandalay Bay, Jason Aldean, Mandalay Bay, Route 91. And what you never heard was the Four Seasons. And who owned the Four Seasons at the time? At the time, the two largest stakeholders in the Four Seasons, with 45% each, were Bill Gates and Awalid bin Talal of Kingdom Holdings. And, and I'll, I'll make a slight correction there. They each had 47.5%, if I recall correctly. I uh, think that's what I've got in my notes. Maybe. I think uh, Isidore Sharp at the time still had 10%. He may have... He may have sold off. I think Isidore Sharp yeah. still, he was the founder. He still had 10. And I think uh, Gates and Awalid bin Talal had the remaining 45%. The reason Awalid bin Talal is so key here is his airplane, the Kingdom Holdings uh, green and white airplane, was the only aircraft allowed to leave the United States on September 12th. There was one aircraft allowed to leave the United States on September 12th, and it was Awalid bin Talal's aircraft. I believe it's his name that is highly redacted in the 28 pages. Interesting. And for, and for those who don't know, um, Awalid bin Talal is the member of the Saudi royal family who is sort of most connected to the West. Um, he has, he's had a lot of investments. He's he had investment, uh, time magazine, right? That was one of his investments. Which um, is Mark Benioff. So let's yeah. point out that's Mark Benioff of salesforce.com who I used uh, to work with. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. interesting. I've seen Benioff's name multiple times now. Um, he, uh, 7% of Twitter early on. So he right, was right. single he, he largest was one of the investors in Twitter, right? Single Until, largest individual stakeholder, single right. largest individual shareholder in Twitter. And, and in fact, there was a controversy about, uh, using Twitter as an intelligence tool for, uh, for at least his faction in Saudi Arabia. I'm not even going to say Saudi Arabia because, um, it, it's clear that there is some sort of a power struggle that has ensued. And in particular, uh, 2017, was the same year that Mohammed bin Salam, um, Mohammed bin Salman, excuse me, King Salman's son, uh, King Salman um, uh, pushed aside the person Nayef, who some people thought was going to be the next ruler. And uh, that was in 
June, mid-June of 2017. And suddenly, very quickly, there is a need in order to uh, for MBS uh, to maintain that control to consolidate some power. So power consolidation began in July of 2017. Correct. And at first, that power consolidation was, you know, questioning some people, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, taking control of some bank accounts, at least temporarily, but it, it got progressively more severe. And then we have October 1st, 2017, several weeks into that. And then um, MBS is in Las Vegas on the day, on the night of the shooting. Maybe, maybe. That's a supposition that that has yet to be uh, refuted. So in other words, there is no alibi that anybody has come forward and said, no, 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 he was here in Turkey meeting with Erdogan and, you know, he, he was photographed with him the next morning. So, for example, many people have said that Donald Trump was there that night. The next morning, Donald Trump is with Prayut Chanocha, the prime minister of Thailand. That's how I know the guy's name. I live there. He was my prime minister. So Prayut Chanocha meets with Trump the next morning, like at eight o'clock in the morning, they're at the White House. And you know, Trump doesn't like to spend nights away, right? You know that he, he likes to be back. So I don't think that was happening. Just so you know. Okay, so uh, there, there's a very good possibility that MBS was in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, I, I know that um, that one story I heard has him in plain clothes. No. So that so this is where it's interesting because you wonder like where would disinformation come from so quickly in the story it's so fast like within the first 10 or 15 days there was footage of some guy walking through the tropicana and with with sort of like a tactical team and sort of the rumor was <clears throat> that this was a saudi prince in plain clothes turns out the guy's name is jason buff he works at the tropicana in security and you can see him carrying his pistol. He's got his gun in the gun case. In fact, I've got almost the same case for my pistol. So he's walking in, and I find the footage, the body cam footage, of the cops, the tactical team, getting ready to go through the casino. And you see Jason Buff just walks in through the door. It's like you see, you see what happens beforehand. And so it puts everything into perspective. He's just an employee who works in security. But it's interesting how these weird disinfo stories hit the internet so early. It's like, well, where the hell does that come from? Because it's like, it's close enough for horseshoes, but it's not accurate. Hmm. And that's the kind of the, so in other words, people talk about the helicopters and then you'll hear people who live in Vegas say, yeah, but you know, there's Maverick and there's Sundance and they're coming and going all the time. And so this is where, you know, you have to understand, you know, my background as a, you know, I'm a U.S. Coast Guard captain. I know navigation and things like that. So red lights and green lights and cal calculating this velocity of things as they move. That's part of what you do as a captain. So what I did was baseline. Are you beeping or am I beeping? I'm uh Apologies, that's uh, that's me, but it's in another room. It'll be done. Okay, I apologize. I thought I was beeping. I was like, what, what is something burning here behind me? Um, so uh, I forget where I was. Uh, forgive me. Um, uh, we're talking about um, you know, whether or not MBS might have been there, 
and you know, I've heard um, I've heard you know different accounts, um, but I'm I'm glad you're here to talk. Oh to, yeah, I was talking about the disinfo so much video. Yeah, the guy yeah. walking through the Tropicana. That's Jason Buff. That's okay. disinfo. So the net of this is everything about the story. Stephen Paddock, Mary Lou Danley, Brian Hodge, the door locks, everything about the story becomes almost irrelevant the minute there's helicopters shooting people in the head. So as soon as that comes into the picture, you have to set weird Australians that don't know what room they're staying in. You have to be able to set that aside and say, that's probably not as important as helicopters flying around. So then <clears throat> I'm searching the video, looking for the documentation in handheld video recorded by people who are running. Right Then LVMPD starts releasing body cam footage. And once they start releasing the body cam footage, that's got a synchronized clock on it. Once we can synchronize the footage, now I'm able to figure out exactly what's happening, when and where and what have you. And so here's kind of the irony. The irony of the event is we see gunfire coming from room 32134, which is that little room off to the side, that little adjoining room. You know what I'm talking about? There was that little room off to the side. That little room off to the side, we see gunfire come from that room. And that window is broken the next morning. But in the FIT report that LVMPD produces, they put out this report, I guess it was in January of 2018. That was their preliminary report. And then what they told us was, well, we found eight brass casings in that room. Eight. And they were from a high-powered 308 rifle, like a hunting rifle. And those 308 rounds were fired at the fuel tanks and two of them hit, and six of them missed. Well, what did we just learn from that? Okay, wait. Uh, so let me stop here. I, I've mm -hmm. heard a little bit about the fuel tanks, but um, yeah, tell, tell me, where are these fuel tanks? And uh, are these uh, by the stage? You, if you want, you can pull up Google Earth and show everybody, and I'll show you where they are. You want to go to the venue on Google Earth or Google Maps? I'll show you. Either one. Google Earth uses probably too many resources, but Google Maps might work if you want to go. Do I look at Mandalay Bay? Yeah, go to Mandalay Bay. The venue will be across the street, and then I can show everybody exactly where it is. And if you've got a live chat going and people want to ask questions, that's fine, too. I'm happy to take some live live questions. Yeah, you guys, uh, queue them up. I'll, I'll look at both uh, Rumble and YouTube as well as I can. Uh, okay, so I I don't know I, I you know I've been to Las Vegas uh, several right. times, but I don't I don't know the geography. All right, so first oh, click on know. click on layers. <clears throat> Let's go to the satellite view. So click on layers. That little uh, icon in the lower left to the left of the yellow to the left of the highway. There's an icon that says layers. Yeah, and we want the satellite view. There we go. So there's the stadium. And if you scroll, all right, so there's the Luxor. Uh, in the upper right at 1 o'clock is the Luxor. You're looking straight down on the pyramid of the Luxor. There you go. So let's drag the map a little bit. Drag the map down and to the left. And there's the venue straight across the street from the Luxor. 
Mandalay Bay is in the southwest corner of that intersection. That's the Mandalay Bay. <clears throat> it's actually shaped like a like a three pointed star. What would you call that? Uh, this right yeah. here. Yeah, that's um, that's Mandalay. Yeah, just, uh, just a star. It's fine. Okay, so you can zoom in on that. So that's Mandalay Bay. The venue's Caddy Corner across the street. Got it. Okay, and the Luxor is directly across from the venue. And okay. and the way the map is oriented right now, <clears throat> up is north, to the right is east, down is south, and to the left is west. So all the way to the east at three o'clock, there's two white dots. Those are uh, aviation fuel tanks. And there were two shots taken at those aviation fuel tanks. And that's about 700 yards away. And I was out there this past October 1st, and we walked over there. And uh, I can tell you that's a long shot. I shoot at that kind of range. I shoot at 600 yards and 1,000 yards. And a 700-yard shot at milled steel, that, that's that shot has lost a lot of energy. Let's put it that right. way. So, so right. Pierce, piercing the tank at that distance with a 308 it isn't going to happen. So I believe that those tanks were fired upon from much closer. Um, it, it, but suppose those tanks had exploded. <laughs> but what, that's what, what they, that? that's what they were hoping would happen. That was the plan. Is that going to, is that going to level all these buildings around? No, but it's going to create such a scene. So people have said to me when they hear <clears throat> where this is going, well, why would they shoot everybody outside? Why would they do that? So the reason is they're trying to create an absolute disaster hysterical scenario. They need to create a disaster. Sirens, police, people screaming, people running. And if the tanks blew up, now you're talking Michael Bay. Right now, you're talking. That, now, that's right? an epic Hollywood script, exactly. And that was what they were going for. But the tanks don't blow. Tanks don't go. So they start start shooting people. What it does <clears throat> is it triggers an exfiltration protocol, which is at some point the security team is going to take the VIPs and whisk them out of there. So if there was somebody really important there that had a protection detail, at some point, they're gonna be extricated. So for example, let's just say hypothetically speaking, hypothetically speaking, if Ivanka Trump was at the concert, she would have a security detail. And at some point, when all hell breaks loose, ma'am, you're coming with us. And they get her into some sort of vehicle and they get her the hell out of there, right? That's an ex exfiltration protocol and knowing what triggers and trips an exfiltration protocol is key here because it turns out that the guys who were pushed aside by Mohammed bin Salman used to run the Saudi Arabian National Guard which is the part of the military that protects the royals so they're the guys who write and enforce the exfiltration protocol they know exactly what triggers it so okay, they, wait. Uh, so stop there. Say say that again. So who was it? Who was head of of Sang? Is that is that what they call it? The Saudi Arabian uh, Saudi Arabian National Guard. Who was head of Sang? So let's pull up Sang in Wikipedia. So let's open up another tab and we'll pull up Saudi Arabian National Guard in Wikipedia because it has a history of leadership that's very important. 
so prior to the Ben Salmans uh, taking the throne and then the uh, the crown prince, and let, let's roll back a bit because you mentioned something in 2017. It's very important. Most people don't know this. MBS was already consolidating in the summer of 2017. Right. You you point this out. Most people aren't aware of this. He was already uh, starting to shake some people down over what had been going on. All right. Now, what many people are not aware of is this article that was published in The Guardian in 2015. And the, the, the issue here is that the people who are at the head of the Saudi Arabian equivalent of the US CIA is called the General Intelligence Presidency, the GIP. The people who've run the GIP and the Saudi Arabian National Guard are their cousins. These are all cousins. So you've got Maiteb bin Abdullah, you've got Mohammed bin Nayef, you've got Bandar bin, Ab, you know, you've got all these different guys who are cousins of each other, including. Right, right. And, and maybe for, for people to understand, maybe let's step back a little bit further. Um, I, I don't know if he's, if he's the founder of the House of Saad, but uh, uh, it was uh, uh, Abdul Aziz, right, who had, uh, who was, uh, you know, head of Saudi Arabia post-World War II, or yeah, maybe starting before, I don't really know how, you know, mm -hmm. how official we call the boundaries or, or whatnot, but he has dozens of children. He had dozens of children, uh, you know, maybe close to 40 male heirs, like in that ballpark, right? Um, so he has all these male heirs and, you know, several of them are kings after him. Right. Um, you've got King Faisal and uh, and then you've got King Abdullah and you've got, you know, several yep. of his of his sons become king. Mm -hmm. Now we get to I don't even know if it was like around the seventh son, mm -hmm. King Salman, who was ruler of Saudi Arabia. I guess he, he's king currently. But in, in 2015, he had uh, he had. Uh, sort of put Nayef in charge. And then in 2017, Correct. in 2017, he says, you know what, uh, we're going to do a swap right here. Uh, instead of Nayef being sort of groomed for leadership next, um, we're going to cut him out. We're going to cut out all of the other brothers, um, all of the other sons of Abdul Aziz from a certain point on. And we're going to make, um, you know, my son, you know, uh, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, he is going to be the next ruler. And now when you have so many people in one large family, that's large enough to have factions. You know, you're going to have essentially a Republican and a Democratic Party, so to speak. And so this is a, a switch between those two parties, essentially. And they aired their dirty laundry. So the irony of it is it was already apparent in 2015, to the leadership, the royals in Saudi Arabia, that MBS was a problem. They publish an article in Guardian that's written by the Saudi royals, and in fact, they publish the uh, they they publish it in uh, in Arabic as well. And the title of the article at the Guardian, the title is called "Saudi Royal Calls for Regime Change in Riyadh," and it was published uh, by Hugh Miles on September 28th, 2015. So this is two years before the attack in Vegas. And when you read this article, this is effectively an admission of a plan for a coup d'etat. 
I mean, you you read it. You guys tell me if you think I'm wrong in my interpretation of it. But I read this article at The Guardian. And to me, this is them saying, well, we don't like the way this is happening. We've got a whole bunch of cousins here who are grandsons of Ibn Saud. Who you were just talking about, the founder of Saudi Arabia. And these are the grandsons of, of Ibn Saud. We got Awalid bin Talal. We got Maiteb bin Abdullah. We've got uh, 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 Mukrin bin Abdulaziz. We, you know, we got all these guys here. These are all qualified men in their 60s and 70s who've been waiting for this role the whole time, right? For a long time. Waiting for it and making alliances and making money. Yeah, bin Talal made billions of dollars. And some of it was skimming off of all the construction, you know, um, uh, and and for just uh, one more, you know, piece of, of this whole puzzle, right, is Aramco, which is the Saudi oil company. Just to just for people to understand this, this is the most profitable corporation in the entire world. When people talk about like how large China's economy had become and the fact that they have these very large entities that control everything, if you take China's three largest energy companies, wrap them up together, Aramco makes more than four times as much profit as the three largest you know, oil energy companies in China. That's amazing. At once. So this is the most profitable, you know, over $100 billion a year. That's a lot of money. And Saudi Arabia has had projects, construction projects, development projects, education projects, all sorts of projects. And people who have dug, you know, amongst members of the royal family, different ones of them have dug their heels into different pieces. And Bin Talal made an extraordinary amount of money heading up construction projects. And that is the type of project where you can skim maybe tens of millions of dollars at a time and then to go begin investing that overseas and made and he made a lot of friends in the western world in business and then suddenly he ends up with 45 percent of the four seasons and the other 45 percent owner which by the way i think this is pretty relevant at this point was bill gates exactly and I think the most relevant part is the part that nobody hears about it. In other words, how were they able to quiet that part up? Now, for people who aren't familiar with the building, we were just looking at it on Google Maps a minute ago, that building, the Mandalay Bay building, houses the Four Seasons Hotel. But the entrance to the Four Seasons Hotel is around the back on Frank Sinatra Boulevard. And so most people don't even know it's there. And when you're looking from the venue, the only signage you see is Mandalay Bay. You see Mandalay Bay from the venue. Your perspective is Mandalay Bay. The bottom side of the hotel, that south side, the part that's facing the, you know, the bottom of the map, that's the entrance to the Four Seasons. And the Four Seasons begins on the 35th floor of the building. Stephen Paddock was staying on the 32nd floor. So conceivably, the suite that we're talking about where MBS would be staying is the presidential suite at the Four Seasons that's owned by Awalid bin Talal. Awalid bin Talal does not believe MBS should be crown prince. Awalid bin Talal believes he should be crown prince. Yeah, and on November 4th, I believe, he was taken into custody in Saudi Arabia. And there were already a lot of people. There were uh, over 300 people were taken into custody in Saudi Arabia. Uh, it was said that that 
many of them, including Bin Talal, were tortured. Bin Talal later walked out and said, no, no, I was there of my own accord. We were just having conversations, you know, but um, but uh, the rumors include um, that American mercenaries were there at, at the Marriott in Riyadh and that American mercenaries were used to torture uh, many members of the, the Saudi, Saudi royal family. Um, some there were there were some people who fled to Iran. At least at least one that that was very notable who fled to Iran. So you know this was very very clearly um, a, a very large uh, operation for MBS to consolidate power. But the the most serious parts of it happened after this Las Vegas shooting. Well, let's so <clears throat> the night of the long sword is what it gets you know known as colloquially right so everybody starts calling it the night of the long sword and based on where you are in the world and which side of the international dateline it is it's november 4th or 5th of 2017 so it's it's five weeks after the shooting now i what i can tell you is that when the news of the night of the long sword broke that's when my thesis was done that's like that's it that's what this was and that's when I documented it in a series of videos that I posted on the YouTube channel you talked about earlier, Johnny Hoover. And there's a there's a series of playlists there. And one of the things that the LVMPD and the FBI never found was a motive. Neither of them said they could find a motive. And I think I found the motive. And I think the motive was published in that Guardian 2015 article. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. Um, and and by the way, somebody, um, you know, you said uh, you could take questions. Somebody brought up, I said, John, you started talking about the baselining uh, you did, which helped you determine what normal air traffic should look like, but you lost your thread. I, I'm going to encourage people to go to your channel and find your videos where you walk through because you, you have um, like one that I saw, I, I know I watched for like an hour. Uh, but you, you, you've got good information there and it might take an hour to go through all that. And I think, uh, I think this is a better big picture discussion. Um, the, you know, the baseline is important. Let me talk about base. it just real quick. Cause the, the, it is an important aspect. Okay, of the story. Uh, one second. I'm going to let you talk for a moment. I'm actually going to have to uh, handle a pet. Okay. So it, it looks like Matt's doing a uh, side out and rotate. So the story with the baselining is, um, I see the helicopters in the footage and I see basically what, when I say I see the helicopters, what I'm talking about is I see like a single pixel of light where it could only be a helicopter because seagulls don't wear those headlamps. Right. So it, it's, it's what I'm seeing is muzzle flash. I'm seeing muzzle blast coming from a helicopter and I'm seeing it on handheld cameras. People are holding up their phones and recording what's happening. And that's where I'm seeing these shots. They're coming from the air, basically, from behind the Luxor, between the Luxor and uh, Delano, between Delano and Mandalay Bay. And then they're coming around. Well, I then stumble on this other guy on YouTube who's using flight radar. And he's showing all this stuff going on on flight radar. And people who live in Vegas often say, well, yes, yeah, Sundance and Maverick are coming and going over there constantly. Like it never stops. Well, that's where I did this baselining. And the baselining is where I went back six weeks 
and looked at six prior Sundays to understand what does it look like 9.30 to 10.30 p.m. on a Sunday night in Vegas. And I did that using flight radar. Well, that's where you start to see what does a normal look like? Where do these guys go? They go up to the space needle. What, what's it called? The astro sphere, whatever. The, I forget what it's called. There's a space needle up at the north end of uh, the strip. They go up there. They turn around. They come back down the strip. And they go around the back side of Mandalay Bay. And they turn off their transponders. And then they land. And they do this all the time. Every night. Same thing. Same same routine. The night of the shooting, that's not what happens at all. So that's why baselining is so important. You need to be able to compare it to, well, what normally happens on a Sunday night? What are these guys normally doing up there? And when you see weird things like show up on a flight radar, like out of nowhere, does that normally happen? Or did that only happen the night of the shooting? Well, turns out that kind of stuff kind of happens, I won't say all the time, but somewhat regularly. You see stuff like a plane just arrives and, and it goes, and it's like, well, what the hell was that? So you see this. It's not just that night. Things like that happen in flight radar. So if you don't do the baselining, you start to jump to all these conclusions. And that's sort of the difference between the body of work that I've published and most other people's research into the topic. I lost your audio. I don't have your audio. Thank you. Um, so if, if these helicopters were there that aren't normally there and they shot a bunch of people up, um, why doesn't the military pick up on this? <clears throat> well, two weeks later, the commander at Nellis Air Force Base in charge of counterintelligence is relieved of duty two weeks later. That's on my channel too. Okay. If you search, if you search the Johnny Hoover channel. So one of the cool things you guys can do, if you go to the channel and you go to the videos tab, you can search for stuff. So if you want to search for Nellis, there's a video there about the commander at Nellis who loses his job. Now, what's interesting is YouTube doesn't seem to be using the Google search algorithm because you can search for things and the video you're looking for is like the 10th one down. So sometimes even though it's explicitly what you're looking for, that's not what they want to show you. So they know better. So how close is this base? Nellis, 12 miles. 12 miles from Las Vegas. In which direction? North. Okay. So did these so which direction did these helicopters seem to depart after the shooting? Well, this is this is going to depend. So I believe they headed south, but then they turn off their transponders and this is where one of the key eyewitnesses that I've been able to work with is a guy that we call the dog walking guy. He was out walking his dogs that night doesn't want to share his real name. I saw that video. <clears throat> and he sees all this stuff happening from a, a vantage point. He doesn't realize it's a shooting. So he's looking at like, what the hell am I looking at? What is this? He doesn't, he's far enough away to see it, but not close enough to hear the rapport of the guns. He doesn't hear the gunfire, but he can see what, what happens at night when you shoot these, uh, if you shoot a uh, FN mini me, if you shoot a machine gun, 
at nighttime and there's not a, a, a flash suppressor on it, it looks like fire is coming at the end of the gun. Like, that's what it looks like. It looks like a flamethrower almost. And that's what he's describing. He's like, dude, a ball of fire comes out of these helicopters and <clears throat> he has no idea there's a shooting. So he's looking at this wondering, what the hell am I? Are they filming a movie? It must It must be. They must be doing, you know, born eyes. But he stays with it and he starts counting the helicopters. So the weird thing is at 1013, the shooting's not over. And Maverick Helicopters sends on flight radar what appears to me to be seven helicopters. Mindy mentions it's eight. I'll have to recount to me. It looked like it was seven. Maybe one of them pops up on the come around. But they send seven or eight helicopters up at 1013 at night. The shooting's not over. It's like, what are they doing? Where are they going? Who's getting on those helicopters at 1013 p.m. to go on a tour? And that's when the tower from McCarran says to the guys at uh, Maverick Helicopter, Hey, what's going on down there at the concert? And the Maverick helicopter pilot goes, I don't know. Looks like the concert's getting out. That's at 10.13 p.m. The guy in the tower tells Maverick, why don't you guys swing way out west? Now, to me, I don't live in Vegas. So to me, way out west is towards Red Rock Canyon. The dog walking guy will tell you guys the exact boulevard and tell you, no, they didn't go all the way to Red Rock Canyon. They went out to here. I don't know the streets that well. To me, that's towards Red Rock Canyon. So they fly out towards the west, come a big loop around, but seven helicopters don't return on flight radar. On flight radar, five return. Now, the dog walking guy says, I don't care what you guys see on flight radar. I'm telling you, it was in the teens. So he counted 13 or 14 helicopters. And in fact, I'm doing another interview with him today. So he's going <clears> to <throat> talk more about that because, again, what, what ends up happening is Shepard Ambellis goes on Alex Jones's show talking about the helicopters and flight radar. And I realize, oh, my God, he and I are looking at the same stuff. And in that show, a guy calls in from JSOC and says there was a company called ETS on the ground in Vegas that day. In fact, they were there that week. And what we know is that Operation Red Flag was just concluded like two weeks earlier. Operation Red Flag is at Nellis. And pilots come in from all over the world to participate in these joint exercises. So the Saudi Arabian National Guard and the Saudi Air Force were in Las Vegas and in fact booked the w hotel because these guys are stylish the entire w hotel so the saudi air force books the w hotel i think for the whole month of august or something like that khalid bin salman is the brother of muhammad bin salman khalid bin salman is the head of i forget if it was the saudi arabian national guard or just the, the military at the time Maitem Ben Abdullah is another guy, the, the son of King Abdullah, who is the head of the Saudi Arabian National Guard. He gets pushed aside for the throne. And then there's another character here. You mentioned Mohammed bin Nayef was crown prince. He gets pushed aside. There's another guy, Mukran. Mukran bin Abdulaziz was also crown prince. 
he gets pushed aside. And, and Mukran, Mukran is uh, King Salman's brother. He, he's Mukran. not one of the cousins, right? One of the children. I'd have to look at the video. So again, if you go to the channel, there's a section, there's a playlist area on YouTube, a tab that says playlist. And there's a playlist that says means, motive, and opportunity. And there's about 16 videos there about the Saudis where I go into the background, the family trees are published that like, it, it's an incredible amount of detail in order to back up this aspect of the story. And I don't know that this is what happened. It's just, we don't have a similar body of evidence for an alternate narrative. Like, and I've, I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but not really. If El Chapo had six or eight helicopters right over the border and his daughter was sleeping with Jim McMurrin <clears throat> or Jim Merrin over at the, the MGM, but nobody's brought that information forward. Like nobody's brought forward a whole body of evidence to show this type of motive and to show this is where we get into the means. Means, motive, and opportunity. But where do you get the helicopters from? And this is where Laura Loomer and I diverge. Laura continues to say that it's ISIS. And I continue to say ISIS can't fly. Okay. Um, and, and I may have a perspective that unites these two. You know, let's take a step back for a moment. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, all these all these uh, uh, Saudis. So Sang comes into this area for training and they do it frequently. This is a, a regular thing. This is a program run by the U.S. military. Uh, and this is a big program. So the U.S. military sells all of these, you know, sells weapons all over the world, right, especially to the Saudis, uh, and then uh, runs a for-fee training program, right? You can train your troops, but, you know, you're going to pay per troop, per per service, per everything, and uh, and and we're going to retrain them every time we change the software, all that kind of stuff, right? So it's it's like a $4 billion a year program. This is big business. It, it's it's Again, military. people don't know this. Yeah, people aren't aware of this. So it's military and yeah. it's business, and that that's what I that's what I want to focus on, right? Because yeah, there's saying. so much money involved in this yeah. that this if what huge. you need, yeah. if if what you need is for one or two people to kind of go along with, you know, the what what the Saudis might do in a circumstance mm -hmm. like this, mm -hmm. well, you know what? There is somebody paying a very large multi-billion dollar, you know, well, let's look continual what's continual deal. Let's look at what's at stake. So again, I, I don't want to jump to the conclusions yet. So these are sort of, you know, the observations, but let's make sure people understand how the dots connect. Because right now what we have is a bunch of handheld video and body cam video showing dots in the sky, right? And we've got eyewitnesses telling us they see helicopters. So we hear we heard that Clarissa eyewitness saying she was certain of it. There's a whole bunch of other people who have the same type of uh, testimony. That you, again, there's a video on the channel. If you search for the term eyewitnesses speak, finally, I think is the title of the video. And again, you, if you search for that, you may have to scroll down 10 or 12 videos before you find the term you actually looked for. Uh, but there's a, a video called Eyewitness Speak Finally. And there's like 12 or 13, 14 people that are telling you helicopters, 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 helicopters. So the next question is who the hell has got helicopters? Who's got helicopters near Las Vegas that could pull something like this off? So as soon as I become aware that's an aerial attack, 
the first place I'm thinking, of course, is the first thing everybody thinks. You can rent a helicopter and go fly around Vegas and shoot them. You can shoot machine guns out of a, out of a helicopter. It's like 500 bucks or something like that. Did any one of those locations get run? You know, so a bunch of ISIS guys went in there, took the helicopters, killed the guys at the counter, took off with the helicopters, shot up the place, ditched the helicopters out in the desert. Did that happen? Was there a report the next morning that any of these shoot them up helicopter joints were missing two or three helicopters? I no. suspect we would have heard. Well, I'm looking and looking and no, the answer is no, right? So that, that, that's not what happened. So there's no missing helicopters. So again, you start looking for, okay, well, who's got helicopters within a certain radius of this place? And that's where the Saudi angle comes in. And so when this guy comes on Alex Jones with Shepard Ambellis and says ETS was on the ground. Whoa. Whoa. ETS is like Blackwater. ETS is a is a security firm in Saudi Arabia that basically does the same kind of stuff that Blackwater does. So if there's a bunch of ETS guys on the ground in Las Vegas, it probably means there's some VIPs in Las Vegas from Saudi Arabia. He calls into Alex Jones, and that tip I think was October 28th, 29th, or 30th. It was like Halloween weekend, and it, it was the same day that my house was broken into and my YouTube channel was knocked down all within a 24 to 48-hour window. So Alex Jones breaks this piece of news with Shepard Ambellis talking about helicopters. My YouTube channel, I, uh, John, John Cullen, is taken down by YouTube, and my house is broken into. And all this happens in the same weekend. So I start a new YouTube channel with the real name of J. Edgar Hoover. So before J. Edgar Hoover started to wear dresses and stuff like that, he was known as a really good investigator, and his real name is John. John E. Hoover. But when he became flamboyant, J. Edgar Hoover sounds much more erudite, I guess. But his real name is John E. Hoover. So I named the channel after him so that when I move into the building, I don't have to change the signage. <laughs> Okay, so we have um, we have helicopters, mm -hmm. um, and they may have departed in the opposite direction of the U.S. military, the closest U.S. military base. We have uh, training. Does the training take place at the U.S. military base? No. So, no. so what I discover, so see the helicopters, the guy calls into the show, says ETS, I'm thinking Saudis. All right, do the Saudis have helicopters near Vegas. This is the next query. So I used to work at Oracle. So when I'm doing these investigations, things I think of things in terms of queries. So the next query that I'm going to run is, where do we have helicopters near Vegas that are owned and operated by Saudis? Lo and behold, the Saudis have contracts with Boeing in Mesa, Arizona, and are training in Mesa, Arizona, in Little Birds, Apaches, Blackhawks, and again, another goosebump piece of news here that I haven't done any videos on because it, it creeps me out too much. If you go on LinkedIn, you can find Sang helicopter pilots on LinkedIn. 
Okay. And what does that tell us? These guys trained at Boeing in Mesa, Arizona. Oh, you mean uh, on LinkedIn, you see that they are in Mesa, Arizona. They brag. In other words, you, you can you can go on Facebook and search for, you know, uh, show, show me all the guys who are helicopter pilots and the saying that fly AH-6I little birds. You know, if you're, if you're an AH-6I little bird pilot in the saying, you trained in Mesa, Arizona. Well, a handful of these guys pulled this thing off. Whether they're dead or alive, I don't know. But five weeks later, MBS arrests 200 members of his family and leadership in Saudi Arabia, the Night of the Long Sword, at the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh. He tells everybody, I think he said it was a Shakira concert. It was either Shakira, Ciara, something like that. He tells everybody it's a concert, having a party. You got to be there. The king's inviting you. You can't say no. Everybody comes in for the Shakira concert. They lock the door. Awalid bin Talal is there. Akar bin Laden, the bin Laden group, is the largest construction company in Saudi Arabia. Akar bin Laden is arrested. All right, so all these big names that I'm talking about, Mohammed bin Nayef, Maiteb bin Abdullah, these guys are arrested and interrogated and made to give up a portion of their fortunes. Now, these guys are all billionaires. They've all got yachts. Everybody's got a yacht. And they're made to turn back to MBS billions of dollars each. And then one year later, on the anniversary of the Las Vegas shooting, in Turkey, Jamal Khashoggi is cut into pieces and filmed. Jamal Khashoggi is not a sod. All the cousins, their lives were spared. They were humiliated. They were forced to you know, give up a good portion of their wealth. Jamal Khashoggi was not a sod. I, I think one or two may have died in like shootouts. Well, there's um, some Mukran so bin Abdulaziz was killed in a helicopter that morning. He never made it to the concert. So this was a great way to send the message to the rest of the cousins. Oops, Mansoor bin Mukran didn't make it. What happened to his helicopter? Oops, that got shot out of the sky. Now, Mansour, I believe it was Mansoor bin Mukran who was one of the key uh, authors of the Guardian article. So the 2015 article, because it was his father that was going to be crown prince. His father was crown prince. Mukran bin Abdulaziz was crown prince. So that means Mansoor bin Mukran is like, dude, I'm a baller. My dad is going to be the king of Saudi Arabia. You know what that means? That means I'm going to be the king of Saudi Arabia. because My dad's the king. He's going to make me the crown prince. So Mansoor bin Mukran is like, dude, I am in. I am in. My dad is the crown prince. Now, who made his dad not the crown prince? MBS or, or MBS's dad? And, and, and now it's Mohammed bin Nayef? All right. Well, that sounds very U.S.-oriented because Mohammed bin Nayef received uh, awards from the CIA. Like you said, they were grooming this guy. They love this guy. Right, right. And actually, if I could cut in right here, um, just so that uh, so that people get a sense of like, you know, where people might break down on the political end. If you go watch uh, King Salman, 
speaking at like uh, world conferences, energy conferences. This is a guy who does not bow to the climate change regime, right? They'll, they'll sit there and they'll, they'll say, you know, the climate's changing oil, you know, oil's at fault, blah, blah, blah. And they'll, they'll say it over and over again. And, and then they'll, they'll let him speak and he'll say, look, energy security absolutely will take priority. And, and, you know, he'll just, he'll just stop, you know, he, he won't even engage the conversation as if, um, <clears throat> as if it is, as if he's giving into the globalist side of that argument. Now, on the other side, you've got uh, Nayef, you've got Ben Talal, and they are working with the Western globalists. Correct. Correct. So that get, that should, that should help people get a sense of the politics, like whose side who might be on. And this is why regime change is what they're already calling for in 2015. They're publishing it in The Guardian. They're saying, you know, we're not happy with what's going on here. And they go through two crown princes. They go through uh, Mukran, Mansour bin Mukran's dad. Mansour bin Mukran dies in the helicopter. They go through Mohammed bin Nayef, and he gets pushed aside. And then they make MBS. He makes MBS the crown person. MBS at the time, I think, is 31 or 32 years old. And all the other guys, Awalid and Mukrin and uh, Maitab bin Abdullah, they're all looking at each other like, what, are you kidding me? I've waited my whole life for this. And guys like Awalid bin Talal, like, I'm the grandson of Ibn Saud. What are you talking about? He's 30-something years old. There's plenty of time. When he's 70, he'll be, you know, we're all in our 60s and 70s. I, I think that MBS was probably um, being secretly trained for this position, to move into this position the whole time. Um, that That's my gut instinct. Now, By whom? Um, by whom? Um, by, by the faction that knew that it was going to appear that it was going to give in to the West. I think that, that King Salman um, was not very vocal. He he's a, a relatively okay. calm man. Yes, and uh, and he was not projecting the fact that he was going to at some point pull the rug on the appearance of going along yep. with the West. Have you seen the movie Syriana? Uh, you know, oddly, I haven't. I, I don't watch a lot of movies, but I just froze in the video. Yeah. My video feed froze for some reason. I don't know why. Well, I, I can still hear you if you want to keep talking. Huh. My whole... Uh, should I refresh the page or no in the browser? Uh, you can try if you want. All right. Want to try and reload your stream deck to a new feed, a new... Like, uh, put a browser up on us on the side, see if that fixes it. Uh, well, we've lost John for a moment. Um, uh, I'll, I'll try to fill the air for a moment while we're waiting for John. Um, so, you know, what, what we've got is, is very much, a, you know, it, it's a regime change, but it is a regime change that looks very much like two sides that you might think of as battling for control of the world in essence. So, and, and I don't, I don't mean that the Saudis are trying to take over the world, um, but at least, uh, you know, control their piece of it and, and, you know, push, uh, 
you know, and, and push things in the direction that they want. Um, you know, going since I started talking for a moment, I'll, I'll let you go in just a second, John, or keep going. But uh, I just want to mention, um, you know, the, the Saudis have sort of one piece at a time um, taken a little bit more control of their land in their area. And this goes all the way back to, you know, post-World War II. They did not own the oil companies. It was it was U.S. Uh, standard Oil, uh, SoCal Standard Oil of California, and then um, uh, Texas uh, Texaco, and then Standard Oil of New Jersey, and one other group, you know, came in and they were the ones going out and finding the oil and getting it going. But it was around 1950 that um, that Aramco became something that that was wholly owned by the Saudis. They've kind of gone one step at a time, but within their territory. They don't seem to be out conquering much, though. I, I don't fully understand the Yemen conflict, Mm-mm. so I kind of, I you know, I kind of put a pin in that one. But it feels like this is sort of one more step of the Saudis declaring independence from the Western regimes. Well, the politics have been interesting because the at arm's length to me, so my interpretation was that the relationship between Jared Kushner and MBS was as good as any relationship we've had with the Saudis since the Bush family was in with the Saudis, right? And that, that wasn't good, a good connection, but it seemed like Jared Kushner and MBS had a very good relationship. We can talk about that in a little bit, but it's important to connect the dots in the sky, right? So we see a bunch of lights in the sky. We've got eyewitnesses telling us helicopters and then we've got Saudi helicopters over Mesa, Arizona, and Saudi SANG members training in those helicopters. So that's Mesa, Arizona. Is that that's three hundred miles away? A little less, like two seventy-five. Okay. And <clears throat> these guys are living there, so they live there and train there. Like they go there for six months, nine months at a time. What is the range on those attack helicopters that you can put two guys on each side? You put the guys on each side. And again, you, you can see footage of that stuff on the channel. But I think the range is about 275 miles, which means, <laughs> which means they'd have to stop and refuel. So, again, I use Google Maps a lot. So what I do is I, you know, from Mesa, Arizona to, to Vegas, there's this town called Kingman. Right before you get to uh, the Hoover Dam and Lake Mead and all that, <clears throat> there's a town called Kingman. And Kingman has like significant, uh, you know, airport services and hangars and stuff like that where you could certainly refuel. And because the attack didn't happen until 10 o'clock at night, these guys could have left Mace, Arizona at six, flown up to Kingman, refueled, had a sandwich. Could have a sandwich and a massage before 10 o'clock. I mean, there's plenty of time to get from Mesa, Arizona to Kingman, Arizona, as the bird flies, as the crow flies. And in Kingman is this airport. Yeah, that's the airport. And <clears throat> if they had a hangar, uh, and again, you have to understand, these guys have unlimited resources from a, from a dollars and cents perspective. Renting a hangar six months earlier, a year earlier, is not an issue for these guys. So having a hangar in Kingman, Arizona, where they could refuel now from Kingman to the strip in a helicopter is nothing. That's 15 minutes, 20 minutes. 
So from there, from Kingman to Mandalay Bay <clears throat> is how many miles? From Kingman to uh, Mandalay Bay. Kingman, Arizona. Right now, uh, right now you got to there. Um, it, it's looking like a uh, hundred ish. Yeah. Yeah. About a hundred miles. All right. So it's about an hour. So you refuel in Kingman. You've got an hour to get up there. Your attack takes 15 minutes and then you got to get the hell out of Dodge. And as they depart, what you see, there's the bad guys depart, and then there's the Maverick stuff. And there's a couple guys that break away from the Maverick Brigade, and there's the bad guys that leave. I'm not sure exactly what dog walking guy saw, so I'm going to ask him later today. Yeah. You know, you you may also find, you know, if these helicopters went south, you know, Henderson is. Um, I, I know just a, a bit about it from talking to to people in Las Vegas, but Henderson is kind of like your your uh, uh, high high value suburb. I guess you could say like where people invest in the schools, like where better schools are being built and whatnot. Um, uh, some of your uh, the people who work downtown who make more money live in Henderson, as far as I understand it. So you may be able to find people who have footage from there, but actually I'm, I'm looking at this now. I, I don't know the landscape that well. I, I knew that there were some mountains to the South, but if the helicopters went this way, they could dodge sighting from Henderson. What, what many people don't know is almost immediately after the shooting, a drone was sent in from Henderson. Oh, I haven't seen this. Yeah, and flew over the venue all night long. So at some point, they called in. I don't know if it's a predator or you know what what the names of these things are, but a drone was brought in. I don't know if it was armed or not. Um, and on flight radar, <clears throat> when we do use drones over cities, it it doesn't say uh, CIA drone on flight radar. It shows up as a Cessna. And when you see a Cessna stay airborne for seven hours, that's how you know it's not a Cessna. Hmm. So they probably dodged Henderson then. They they would have gone straight south. Yeah, so. again, dog walking guy was watching this wondering what the hell. So he's like, he's making note of it. He knows it's weird. And where was he on this map? So if you go zoom back into Mandalay Bay. So go back to the venue where we were before. And he's about two miles to the west and south. Like just on the other side of the highway. Oh, so, just not. Okay. So yeah. somewhere in this, this ballpark. Yeah, I mean, two miles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can see where he was. Zoom into the hotel. You'll be able to see it from really kind of close. <clears throat> Even closer. Get to where you can see the hotel. Okay. And the stadium, right. Okay, so the hotel now is in the middle of the screen. Put the hotel in the upper right portion of the screen now by dragging the map. Drag, Yep, and that's where he was, is, is down towards where your cursor is now, in that vicinity. So down near there, he's walking his dog. He's down in that area, give or take. And he's looking over there, going, what the hell am I looking at? Might have been a little further to the left and down, if you zoomed out just a little smidge more. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so so from that perspective, he's looking over there, 
And the first time I did an interview with him, he went to the place where he was that night. And you know, he, he takes his phone and shows over his shoulder, and you can kind of see the, the perspective that he had. And he describes exactly what he saw. And because it was so odd, and he walks his dogs pretty much the same time every night, he had a baseline of what he's used to seeing. Right. He and, knows when he sees something that's unusual to him. Yeah, that's when he pays yeah. attention. He sees fire coming out of helicopters, and that's not normal to him. And then he gets back to the house with the dogs, turns on the TV, and nobody mentions the helicopters. And he's he's like, what the? What? And you know, th- there are probably people who would watch this and wonder about the plausibility of all this. So I'm going to add another element in there. Um, so. Jamal Khashoggi, you mentioned he was he was killed on October 2nd, 2018. At what time of day? Something like 8 in the morning in, in, in Turkey. Turkey. And, and eight, 8 in the morning in Turkey is what time in Las Vegas? About 10 p.m. The day prior. So he, he, he was probably murdered to the hour uh, of, of a year later on the anniversary so there, there's some, you know, that seems like an intended meaning. And so why why is it that that we would focus on this Jamal Khashoggi guy? Now, right around the time that MBS was selected as crown prince, Khashoggi went into self-exile. He left the country. Um, he was He's clearly on the other side of whatever this faction is. And he is somebody who is, um, you know, he, he's known to be friends with Bin Talal, but he, he, more important than that is his uncle. Uh, Jamal Khashoggi is sometimes referred to as a reporter, right? He's a reporter for the Washington Post. He's more like the embedded Saudi, you know, in, intelligence. But it, it, we know that because his uncle was Adnan Khashoggi. Adnan Khashoggi made billions of dollars as the middleman selling arms from the DOD to the Middle East. And, you know, that's a name, you know, if you go back to Iran, Iran-Contra era, you know, that's a name you're going to find then. But but there are all sorts of little, you know, uh, stories between then and now, connections between him and the DOD. So if if you were to to look for a faction that might have enough relationships within the DOD, especially where it's not just the people who are dedicated to U.S. defense, but the people who are involved in these big money projects, whether it's selling arms, whether it's training people overseas, people who might be a little bit more pliable within the system, call it the corporate military, um, then, then you might reasonably put together a picture of you know Jamal Khashoggi, Organizing, perhaps with Bin Talal, uh, an assassination attempt on Mohammed bin Salman. They used to work together. Khashoggi used to work for Bin Talal. So these guys work together. So, you know, again, this isn't a stretch. Jamal Khashoggi, at one point, was the number two or number three guy in the Saudi intelligence organization. So he worked for Bandar in Saudi intelligence, and then he becomes a journalist. The other thing to understand here is advocating 
for regime change. How did that work out in Libya? How did regime change work out in Egypt? This whole notion of Arab Spring, you know, and, and making it sound like it's something that's fresh and new. And when you're when you're the royal, Arab Spring means you end up on a stake somewhere, or your head ends up on a stake. <clears throat> when you're the royal, Arab Spring means no, we want to move to democracy. And you see how well that works. So Jamal Khashoggi's advocating for regime change in Arab Spring in Saudi Arabia. And MBS is like, you want to think about that before you speak out loud? So I, I've created a little map here, maybe to help, um, you know, hopefully I haven't made it too complicated with the colors, but maybe to give people an idea as to what may be going on in the global big picture. Saudi Arabia regime change. Now, this is by far the wealthiest nation in this area, right? Um, they have, you know, like I said, Aramco is the single most profitable corporation in the world. Uh, Saudi Arabia has so much oil that the second largest proven reserves, but maybe, you know, not far behind the first, but it's that light, sweet crude that doesn't need as much processing. Um, you can, uh, they, they call it carbon cracking. Uh, you, you drop the, the carbon chains down, essentially use gravity to help break them into precise octane or, or you know, more octane than, than you would have otherwise. Now, in the meantime, geopolitically, we have China and most of China's population is concentrated in the east. Um, but, you know, near, near water, of course, but they have a very hard time getting boats out, out of, you know, uh, into the open ocean where the U.S. Navy has like, you know, 90% of the world naval power, basically. Um, China has wanted to, you know, they've been establishing this Belt and Road Initiative to be able to go through Asia and get to Africa and to be able to get to Europe. And if we take a look geopolitically, like I, I've been calling, I've been calling what's been going on in the world, World War E, meaning World War Economics. And meaning that, and, and I, and, you know, it's not even, precisely a national war because I believe that there are factions on both sides within the United States, within Saudi Arabia, within China, within several places, you have factions on both sides within the same geography, maybe almost everywhere on earth. But when we look at where the U.S. has been involved militarily, I've got that in blue, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq right there flanking Iran in the middle, right? Already, Oh, and then uh, then let's look over here. Um, in purple, I've got Syria and Ukraine. And these are two important nations because there are not many gas pipelines in the world. There are not many that, that go international, but a lot of them go through Ukraine and Syria, right? Yeah, the, Syria the one... just did a deal. Syria just did like an $8 billion deal uh, just recently, two two days ago, I think. They right. did a deal. Uh, what, was whatever. it Germany? Whatever the Western propaganda is over what's going on there, you know, let's face it, the oil, the 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 gas has a whole lot to do with it. You know, there's and no doubt. What about Libya? What about Libya? The Belt and Road Initiative. The Belt and Road right. Initiative. Yeah. So when you look at it from this perspective, this this brings up a whole other angle here, which is the pressure on the petrodollar right now. So the, the difference between the relationship between the Trump administration and the Biden administration with Saudi Arabia 
has been somewhat night and day. If you look at the way Trump was received, he was received with a hero's welcome in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Joe Biden does a fist bump with MBS outside in the street. I mean, this is uh, a, a quite a different type of relationship. And so I think what you've mentioned here, the risk is much, much higher now than it's ever been that the petrodollar is going to get removed and that Saudi Arabia and China and Saudi Arabia and Russia will be doing business without petrodollars. And the petrodollar has been sort of the key to keeping the dollar somewhat relevant. When these guys start trading in their a currency that Saudi Arabia, China, and Russia have agreed on, and we're not part of the picture anymore, it's like we're a bookie and we're not getting our vig in. in you know, we're not we're not part of this. It's like a bank and how banks feel about Bitcoin. You know, banks banks hate Bitcoin because they're not in the picture anymore. Same thing here. It's like we hate this because if we're not in the picture and we don't have petrodollars, our relevance is, you know, and what happens to the value of the dollar at that point? Well, so there's a lot at stake. And it, you know, I mentioned Syriana because, as you said, there are factions and there's factions within the U.S. If you look at Bruce Rydell's reporting on this, Bruce Rydell's at Brookings Institute, they mention the Knight of the Longsword. They study the Knight of the Longsword, and they say MBS is a ruthless lunatic. And what the hell is he doing? He's out of control. He can't be trusted. That the, well, if you put the Vegas shooting five weeks earlier in front of that story, and you say, well, wait a second. If the Knight of the Longsword was his retaliation for what happened in Vegas, which was potentially an attempt on his life, now would it make more sense? It makes a lot more sense. And what about chopping up Jamal Kish? So, for example, right? So I've got kids. I have three daughters. If I had a recording of an old family friend planning my assassination and my kids, me and my because again, people don't know that the night of the Las Vegas shooting was the Muslim equivalent of Passover, a holiday called Ashura. So the um, the uh, the Passover holiday is the Jewish holiday where they uh, celebrate Exodus in the Old Testament, right? So this is Moses leaves Egypt, let my people go stuff, right? So this is in the Old Testament. The interesting thing here is that Muslims and Jews both study, support, buy into, read, and celebrate the Old Testament. Right, these are Abrahamic religions. <clears throat> and so, you know, you lose the Jews at Abraham, at uh, at Muhammad, right? So once they get to the Muhammad thing, the Jews are out. The Jews are like, no, 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 we're not, we're not with you on that part. But up until that stuff, all the all the Old Testament stuff, they're on board, but they have different names for it. So in in the Muslim religion, the holiday that the Jews call Passover, the Muslims call Ashura, but it's the same story. It's the story of Exodus. So that night, October 1st, 2017, was Ashura, meaning was MBS hosting a dinner party up at the Four Seasons? And if so, did he have VIP guests with him there? Was his brother supposed to be with him? They get both of them in one swift. In other words, that I will lead Bin Talal say to MBS, hey, listen, 
I want you to have my suite at the Four Seasons because it's overlooking the pyramid. The Sphinx is out the window. You got the pyramid. You got the Sphinx. You're telling the kids the story of Egypt. Come on. Be my guest. I'm going to give you the whole wing, okay? I'll give you a 35, 36, 37, the whole wing of the building. It's yours. Come on. You're my cousin. I love you. This is for you and the kids. I want the kids to see the Sphinx. I insist. I insist. And it may be that uh, if there was an exfiltration program that Al Walid uh, would know that program. Oh, uh, might have it, been Abdullah. It, it, they all, it, it's, all his build, it's his building. Well, it's his building. Well, he he has the building, so he's got the blueprints. That's a great point that I never thought about. That's a huge point, dude. That is big. He's got the blueprints. They know everything about how he's going to try and get the hell out of there. So that's huge. And they've got my Teb bin Abdullah. They've got all the head of the saying, the set of the G, the head of the JIP. They don't want a 32-year-old crown prince. And he's gonna let girls drive? And he's throwing an EDM concert in the desert called Middle Beast. And he's got Steve Aoki and he's got David Goyetta. What the hell? What's going on here? So if you're an old school um, Wahhabi in Saudi Arabia, they want to kill him over this stuff. You're letting women drive and you're having an EDM concert in the desert called Middle Beast with David Goyette and Steve Aoki. Are you out of your mind? Let's kill him. But Bruce Rydell is unaware of this. Bruce Rydell thinks Stephen Paddock did it. So the consulting that you're going to get from Brookings, the consulting that you're going to get from all these consulting groups is wrong because they're not factoring this into it. Once you factor this into it, MBS isn't a bad guy at all. If you had a recording of somebody trying to kill you, your kids, your wife, come on. You'd be like, somebody get me a meat slicer and a video camera. I need to send well, a message to the rest of the cousins. I, I I will step back from this and say I I don't know I don't know if there are any good guys or non bad guys amongst the world leaders, right? I, I I'm not going to take sides, right? right. I, I want to analyze this neutrally because um you know I uh, like it, certainly defending yourself is not a bad action, right? Uh, right. And, and and you know I'll, I'll I'll be on board that like it it makes his actions look fully rational. That's what I'm right? saying. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. not going to take, I'm not going to take sides overall now. Um, yeah. No, I, I'm, I do, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not supporting do, what I he's do doing in Yemen. It, yeah. I'm I, not, I'm not saying he's, yeah. I'm not saying he's a great guy. I'm saying it explains not of the long sword right now. Otherwise it's like, why would you chop a guy up like that? Why would yeah. you take a pruning shears to the guy and go but one you know, for, digit for, at a time for anybody watching um, what we've been, been talking about with the petrodollar, the petrodollar, has effectively ended as of two weeks ago. Um, now, not not exactly entirely, but the valve was opened where Saudi Arabia said, you know what, we are open to taking currencies other than the dollar. There may be limits on that, right? Because what you don't want to do is take a currency that's not going to be relevant. Now, you know, keeping the dollar relevant, now that's not too hard. Relevancy isn't hard. What, what, the, what the US wants with the petrodollar is sort of a force. Right. They want to force, um, you know, Asia to have to 
use the the dollar as the reserve currency. Yes. And so, uh, you know, one thing that I did on, on this map was I've got Russia and China in red. I'll put North Korea, you know, whatever, Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, in yellow are the other BRICS nations. You know, BRICS is Brazil, uh, Russia, India, China, South Africa. And there are dozens of other countries that have applied to be part of BRICS. And people should understand this, right? This is several months into the making. They they announced, we're going to go with our own reserve currency. We're going to do this other thing. And I, I don't know the, the extent to which it will succeed, but it's clear that, you know, this, this is a lot of people who want to trade in something other than the dollar. There are a lot of people down here who want to trade in something other than the dollar, a lot of people here. Now, whether or not they can provide something to Saudi Arabia that Saudi Arabia will find valuable, that's another question question. Now, China manufactures arms, Russia manufactures arms, but are they the quality? And, and, and will it be too much of like a changeover? Like, like are, are you going from Microsoft to Apple, mm-hmm. right? Are, are, you having to change, are you having maintenance, to change too much? Yeah, so, from a maintenance standpoint, what kind of, you know, what kind of fleet do they have? And if they're flying F-15s and F-16s and F-18s, bringing in a bunch of uh, SU stuff, it, it's a whole different maintenance protocol so these are all valid questions and again i think that right now the pressure is is to stiff arm the petrodollar out of the picture as you said it's underway the the conversations are underway do i think we'd be in the same situation with the last administration i don't think so i think we had a better relationship with saudi arabia than we do now I don't know if Joe Biden knows the truth. Well, he must. He's got to know the truth of what happened. But clearly, there's a lot of sides being taken. There's people in the current administration that are not fans of MBS, and they prefer the older regime. That is absolutely clear, right? The current administration, not real fond of MBS. They prefer some member of the older regime. And what you're showing now are the ramifications the ramifications of our foreign policy is that the petrodollar potentially is going to get squeezed out of the picture and you're going to see Russia and China doing direct. And now if you're Singapore, if you're Malaysia, if you're Indonesia, you're going to look at the petrodollar and go, well, that's kind of yesterday's news. We're not really, you know, nobody's really doing that anymore. China's not doing it. Russia's not doing it. What the hell do we have to do it for? And again, it's a slippery slope. And if you look at U.S. allies here in green, you know, we've got South Korea and Japan, obviously. And then uh, I put the Philippines, Philippines down here. That was the largest ever U.S. territory. A lot of people don't know that. Philippines, largest U.S. territory ever. Um, you know, and, and then you look on the other side, right? This is containment is what this is. This is a containment strategy. And Saudi Arabia, Syria, Ukraine, and you know what? Uh, we could we could say Israel, um, you know, right there, and then do enough in Iraq and Afghanistan, and maybe maybe turn ISIS into a sort of wild card. Who are they really working for? Type of circumstance. There are a lot of people who claim that the CIA went in and uh, trained ISIS. Right. Um, there's also there's an interesting thing going on also where there uh, the pharmaceutical companies, at least five of them, are on trial right now for funding terrorism in the Middle East. I actually talked with one of the anonymous witnesses 
And it, it's a very interesting question as to why the pharma would want to dig their heels in. But I think that it's been more and more clear that the pharma relationship with the DOD and the CIA is stronger than people thought. I mean, you know, USAID in Peru, you know, that's that's that was a CIA story. People have more or less acknowledged that at this point. But, you know, the, the appearance of, you know, um, invisible influence and possibly connecting to ISIS. Mm -hmm. ISIS may be something that has a dual connection between U.S. and Saudi Arabia at this point. It's certainly well, look at, that way. And yeah. this may be why Laura Loomer was going in that direction because there are some ISIS stories in Vegas. Can you, could, do you think you could like do a, a quick summary without? Sure. Yeah, yeah, real easy. So, you know, the truth is, if if we had 20 commandos sign up for the mission, and you told me that uh, of the 20, 12 of them identify as Al-Qaeda, and the other eight identify as ISIS, I don't know that I'd be able to tell them apart, quite frankly, right? Because they all work in the Sang, and some of them may be newer school and identify more with ISIS thinking, and some of them are maybe more old school and are more Al-Qaeda Wahhabi kind of thinking guys. The point is they're all in the helicopters and they've all got guns and they're shooting people in the face and there's no gunfire coming from 32-135. So if that's the case and these are the guys who did it, well, then the Knight of the Long Sword, again, kind of, well, now that makes a little sense and Jamal Khashoggi being killed exactly a year later to the day, well, that kind of fits in now. And it kind of answers the question, why would you cut a guy up with gardening shears? So it kind of fits. It all comes together. I don't know if you want to take a, I saw a question pop up from the audience on the bottom of your, your thing there. You want to take a couple questions from people? Because I saw one of them and I sure. didn't get to. Didn't is get there to one it. that you want to pull? Can you see all these? Do you, is there no, one I don't see pick? that at all. No, I just see you in uh, the background. Okay. You, you um, get to pick them. You pick them. Um, I actually, um, Okay. Let's see. Now I see. Well, yeah, now now you've got them on the bottom of the screen. Now I see. Yeah, and Israel just, uh, it, it appears that Israel attacked Iran over yeah. the past few days. Now they're saying, you know, like they're, they're saying that it's focused, um, you know, but it, it, it's clear that this relates to the Ukraine war. Yeah. Um, Pharma dollars, bioweapons link. Yeah. And and you know what? The Middle East actually relates to the Ukraine story, I think, more than most people realize. Um, and I think that that's part of why the PSYOP, you know, why did we go to war in the Middle East? Like there was level mm -hmm. one, it was terrorism. And eh. mm -hmm. level two, it was uh, we're there for the oil and the rare earth metals. And eh. we didn't really take much of that. Level mm -hmm. three, it's about drugs and human trafficking. Okay, that paid for a little bit, but that did not foot a $6.5 trillion bill. And eh. right. yeah, you, you keep going. And it looks more and more like, the whole thing was about this this emerging global economic war that was being set up from from the beginning. I think that that the U.S. was taking its positions from the beginning. And here here's just an interesting little connection that might be worth uh, a rabbit hole worth going down. But um, so where is it that three hundred Saudi you know princes, ministers, businessmen were holed up in Riyadh? Yeah. You know, following the Las Vegas shooting, it was the Marriott in Riyadh. Ritz Carlton, owned by the Marriott. Owned by the Marriott. Yeah. 
Marriott yeah. family, but the Ritz car, then nobody, they, they don't hang out the Marriott. These are billionaires. They only go to the Ritz. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. These but are, these it's a subsidiary of that corporation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The largest it's, it's hotel Marriott Corp. in the world. Absolutely. And, and who also owned world trade center three. Ooh, interesting. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I'm not saying that that's, that that's uh, uh, any well, kind of a smoking gun, but it, it's, it's one more rabbit hole to go oh, down. Oh, there's no doubt. And I've done videos on the link between September 11th and Vegas shooting. Again, if you're familiar with the 28 pages document, the 28 pages is redacted to protect Saudi royals. That's the, that's it. End of the story. Now, we you know, know like 15 of the 19 hijackers or something like <clears> that. Or Saudis, Right. And 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 yet, ironically, they happen to find the passport of an Egyptian named Mohammed Atta, and his passport survived the crash, and floated down to Broadway, and they found that on Broadway in pristine Why? condition to be picked up. Phenomenal, by, yeah. by a and it just officer. happened to be an Egyptian, not a Saudi, so that the whole skew is: oh, Mohammed Atta is just a Middle East guy. Not a Saudi, just like they never mentioned the Four Seasons. You never even knew that was there. Nobody knows the Four Seasons is there. So is that the U.S. reaching into the Saudi connection with a glove coming back to create an event, an event which then gives justification and cover story for the U.S. military and CIA to go all over the Middle East, you know, establish uh, whatever the, the roadblocks it would need for containment of China, Russia. It, it certainly looks like, you know, the West created this sort of, I think the West created communism. You know, we have JP Morgan and the Western banks going over there. But I think that, that the West sort of created a monster, but then from underneath that monster crawled out, you know, two nations that have increasing amounts of power and that, uh, that you know, a post-dollar era, the West will have to contend with in a different way. And uh, that, that's, that's, why, that's why I feel like right now is an important time to discuss. I mean, you know, the, the Las Vegas shooting story is important on its own. And what you've uncovered is important on its own. But I think it connects to the big picture in, in a oh. pretty serious way. If it turns out that there was any type of foreknowledge in, you know, anybody who doesn't have a last name that begins with bin something or other. So... In other words, if a bunch of Saudi royals planned to assassinate MBS, I'm pretty sure that they didn't call a guy in Australia named Brian Hodge and say, well, you know, we're not going to be able to pull this off without an Australian guy. So I don't think there were a whole lot of Caucasians in the mix here. To me, this is Al Qaeda. This is old school. And the fascinating part is these are the guys who were the younger guys. These guys were MBS's age back when September 11th took place. These were the sons. Now they're the dads. It's the same families. The guys who are being protected in the 28 pages, all the stuff that's redacted in the 28 pages, it's all Saudi. And Al-Walid bin Talal is the key guy. He's the one whose jet was allowed to leave the, the, uh, the, the country with Bin Laden family, Bakr Bin Laden's, you know, daughter or something like that was on the plane, that kind of thing. They let him go. They let that plane go. That's it. The only one. Well, he's protected in the 28 pages. And sure enough, 16 years later in Las Vegas, a bunch of cousins decide to kill the 31-year-old. And his brother, potentially. I think KBS was there, too. I think they're going to kill both of them. 
And since then, uh, uh, Ben Talal has sold half his stake in the Four Seasons. He has sold other hotels around the world, uh, luxury hotels in Lebanon. He sold out his stakes in a number of things in Twitter. Uh, and and uh, MBS has frozen bank accounts of on the order of $200 billion. So those sales might have been forced to make that money liquid and then to make that money controllable and consolidatable. So um, right now, MBS might be sitting on the world's largest pool of liquid wealth in more way than one. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's at stake. I mean, the, the, the feeling amongst most people is that if you're the king of Saudi Arabia, you you are the richest man on earth. And it's either the king of Saudi Arabia, the king of Thailand, but the king of Thailand's got a completely different lifestyle. He's like, he, he's into the jet set thing. He hangs out in Switzerland and runs around. So he he's not into this whole uh, global world economic forum thing. Um, that's uh, King uh, uh, Longhorn. I, I, I forget his full name in Thailand, the new king. But he's, con he's considered one of the wealthiest guys. The king of Saudi Arabia and potentially Vladimir Putin are considered the three wealthiest individuals on earth right now. So if you're the king of Saudi Arabia and you've got an army, you've got jets, you've got oil, you've got everything, that's what's at stake. And they'll kill their cousins over it. Well, um, you know, we've been going for uh, nearly two hours. I'm going to give you the opportunity to wrap up in, in whatever way that you like. Uh, and also to thank the audience because uh, we've we've brought them on. I mean, you know, we we've done the, some of the details though. There's there's hours and hours of detail work that you can see uh, on John Cullen's um, uh, YouTube channel called John E Hoover, and he's got a Patreon channel also where you can support his work. And we'll have those links uh, at the bottom of this video if we don't already. Um, uh, but uh, you know, John, um, you know, wrap things up. Uh, details, big picture, however you like. Yeah, I I, th <clears throat> I thought this was the biggest cover-up since the JFK assassination on September 11th and then the Vegas shooting. And I spent all my time on this. This became a full-time job. <clears throat> I gave up everything. Uh, I gave up my family uh, to do this. You know, lost my wife and kids over this. So... Uh, this has been what I've been doing for the last five years. And then when COVID came along, <clears throat> just turned out that Johns Hopkins was using the mapping system that I helped build 34 years ago, the ESRI ARC Info system. So I got drawn into that. But <clears throat> this was really my focus. The reason I'm incognito is because these are professional killers. These guys run the Saudi CIA. They hunt people down and kill them. In fact, there was a story in the paper about Iranian assassination uh, team in Brooklyn just yesterday. A team of Iranian assassins went to go kill somebody in Brooklyn. So this type of stuff happens, and uh, that's why I, I don't want to be recognizable uh, out in the streets. So <clears throat> forgive me for that. I want the evidence to speak for itself. Look at the, look at the material. Look at the evidence. Listen to the eyewitnesses. And then you decide. Once you see the helicopters, they had to come from somewhere. They're not tour helicopters. We, we, we rule that out. And the other thing that people need to understand is if you're going to look at any of the videos with the, uh, the flight radar stuff, the bad guys never appear on flight radar. Ever. It's not a Maverick helicopter pretend. It's, 
they never turn on their transponders ever what you see on flight radar if it's maverick or sundance or unnamed it's a legitimate aircraft the bad guys never ever ever turn on their transponders yeah that's unusual in and of itself but in addition to the baselining <clears throat> um that that helps us know we should be paying attention to these helicopters and we shouldn't be buying the, the whole story but i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and challenge people to uh anybody who's been to vegas to to see if they can identify you know if they've seen the picture of the broken out window mm -hmm. see if you can identify with a floor plan is that room 32134 or 32135 it matters and, we'll, and, and it matters for, for good reason. But, um, well, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for your time and for all the energy that you've put into this research. And, uh, you know, it, it's things like this that, that keep us able to plug into the big picture and have a sense of what's going on in the world. Otherwise, we would be uh, entirely helpless. Uh, because uh, it, it is clear that we do not have a media, we do not have an, you know, an organized investigative reporting outlet uh, from which to learn about the world. So we have to, you know, we have to reach out to our friends around the world who live in different places, and we have to, you know, um, vet and and find uh, investigative reporters that we trust. So we appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate your audience taking the time to listen as well. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's close out.